Thank you for the good music leading our hearts out to the Lord. All right, we are uh, doing a second message today on the theme of uh, life. Started last week, we uh, talked a bit about abortion along the way. I think some people didn't understand the direction I was going because I really want to talk more broadly than that. Uh, Got some questions during the week from people who said, well, what about this and what about that? And uh, those are good questions. Uh, Aaron and I are trying to figure out a time when we could offer some opportunity to interact on some of those questions. But uh, that really wasn't my goal. I wanted to take a step back and look more broadly at culture and uh, ask questions about how we interact as the people of God. So this is a little what we've uh, talked about. We've seen that the world is a dangerous place. The world is a place that is contrary to life. And it has been ever since the beginning, since... uh, The enemy entered the garden that was designed for life and said to our first parents, uh, you can live, really live, without God in the equation. And uh, Jesus, thinking about that set of stories in the opening of Genesis, says uh, the evil one... is a murderer from the beginning. And then he added, he's also a liar. Powerful statement. And as you read the Genesis story, it's not just that human beings try to cut God out of their lives, and so the day that they do that, they enter into death. But, you know, the the next chapter in the story is that a man murders his brother. And that's, we're supposed to read that with understanding, right? That the, the human race has chosen the path of death, and death will work itself out in our lives with an inevitability. One of the enemy's strategies murderer that he is, is to convince us that human life, in whatever form we might think of it, that human life has little value. And and that message has been pushed uh, with great effectiveness in the cultures of the world, including Western culture, right? Right? In the 19th century, Charles Darwin uh, published his Origin of the Species with with a theory of life developing in competition. What was the phrase? Nature read in tongue and claw, something like that. In other words... Life was, 
the result of an ongoing battle where the strong survived. And that scientific theory carried over into all other kinds of human understanding, sociology, history, uh, and it, it funded some of the great tragedies of the 20th century, where the assumption was that the strong should be strong, and if they destroyed the weak, well, so much the worse. So we look at the 20th century, which was uh, my century. <laughs> Some of you, it was your century. Most violent, murderous century in the history of the world. And that continues. Uh, there are some bright spots, but there's a lot of dark spots, dark themes that carry right into the 21st century, abortion being one of them. I don't know how I do that. That is really a trick that you can jump all that. Scripture assures us, however, this is what we looked at last week, that human beings have value. Why do they have value? Because they're strong? Because they're beautiful? Because they have lots of possessions? No, they're valuable because they are created beings who have been made in the image and likeness of God. That is where the value of human life comes from. Every other measure is uh, getting us on the wrong track. <clears throat> All right, so that's what we've talked about. Today I want to think about the choices that are before us as God's people. And the basic choice is then to choose life. And I want to pick up a number of passages here to reflect on. The first is from Deuteronomy chapter 30. Moses, at the end of his life, giving these words of exhortation to the nation. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. Now choose life so that you and your children may live so that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and <clears throat> Jacob. Choose life. And that means choosing the Lord, because the Lord is your life. From the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. <clears throat> John chapter 1. 
In him was life, and the life was the light of all mankind. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Life. Choose life, Moses says. Jesus says, choose life. John says, choose life. Choose life, let's say first, for yourself. There you go again. You have to be good to do that. Well, what we're encountering here in the Bible, and you can find it many other places than the passages we looked at, is what biblical scholars call the two ways teaching that there are ultimately only two ways you can go in life. The way of life or the way of death. Ultimately, that's it. There's, there's little by-roads, <clears throat> and, and each path may take a, a slightly different form, but there's basically two roads. The uh, Deuteronomy passage is, uh, is powerful. Moses is at the end of his long life. He's led Israel through the wilderness for 40 years. And now he knows he's going to die. And they're going to go on without him into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. And uh, he says, now here's what's going to happen. You're going to get into the promised land and you're going to come to uh, Mount Ebal which is the mountain of the curse. And you're going to gather the tribes at Mount Ebal, and across the valley is Mount Gerizim. That's the mountain of blessing. This is life and death. And when you get there, you're going to read the law the commandments and the instructions. And, and right there in Deuteronomy, he gives some illustrations where the Lord says, if you do this, you will be blessed. And other verses say, if you do this, you will be cursed. All right, that's life and death. And six of the tribes are going to stand on Mount Ebal for the curse and Six tribes on Mount Gerizim for the blessing. And the Levites will read the law. And when the curses are read, the six tribes on Ebal will say, Amen. Amen. Which means, let that happen to us if we depart from following the Lord. And then there's the word of blessing. (laughs) If you do this, God will be with you and bless you. And as the blessings are read, the tribes on Gerizim 
Say amen, amen, let it be so. May we live under the Lord's blessing. Stark, powerful ceremony, huh? Well, that's the two ways teaching. And, and you see that Jesus picks up the same basic kind of understanding in the Sermon on the Mount as he lays out all these instructions for how his people are to live. And then at the end, he says, well, you know, there's two ways. There is what he calls a broad way that leads to destruction and death. And there is a narrow way with a narrow entrance that leads to life. And he says, there aren't many people that find it. Life and death. And to this day, those two ways are still before us. And the Word of God encourages us to choose life for ourselves. What does the, uh, what does the way of the broad way of destruction, what does it look like? Well, here's the way it looks in a lot of our culture. It looks like what I would call the secularist gospel. Secularism declares that public life is a religion-free zone. Right? That's, that's the basic idea. <laughs> Secularism says uh, people with Clever minds can develop good technology and they can think their way through their problems and they can do life just fine. We don't need to bring uh, a divine being into the equation. That's secularism. So what does the secularist gospel, the promise of a good life, what does it look like? Well, it looks like at least a number of things here, it looks uh, largely like a me-first philosophy. It looks like a philosophy that says that the good life comes from what you can achieve and what you can possess. Wealth, celebrity, be it uh, physical attractiveness or uh, athletic prowess. That's the good life, right? Most of us have enough sense to realize that we're not going to make it on the uh, physical attractiveness or athleticism side. So what do we do? Well, we develop a cult of celebrity where we worship the people that do have that. And, and the idea is if we can learn to dress like them and talk about them and think like they do, at least we can share vicariously in some of their good life, right? How else do we explain programs like uh, Lives of the Rich and Famous and whatever the modern versions of that are? Celebrity. Pleasure as the chief goal in life. 
and part of pleasure being consumerism, buying stuff, possessing stuff. One way to say that is that the secularist gospel emphasizes having over being. That is, what you possess is more important than who you are, your character, the kind of person you are. That is, friends, that's the way of death. That's the broad way. Lots of people are chasing that. That's the way of death. Lots of people on that road. Watch out that you don't make the assumption that uh, the majority are right as they think about the direction of life. Yeah, that's, that's the one choice. But Scripture says choose, choose life. What does it mean to choose life? What is life, after all, in a world where God is present, where we know that God is the creator? Well, let's say this. Life in God's world is Jesus. Jesus, the man for others. Think about this verse. This is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. God's understanding of life is that it is human beings who share in his life. That's why the promise is eternal life, right? Eternal life is God's life, which we are offered through Jesus. God has given us eternal life in his Son. I love this uh, quote from Irenaeus of Lyon, church father from the second century. Here's an old quote, but this is great. He says, the glory of God is a human being fully alive, and to be alive consists in beholding God. The glory of God, what exalts God for who he is, is a human being fully alive. Who is fully alive? Answer, Jesus. Has anyone ever been as alive as he was? Has anyone else had an impact for good on the history of the world that comes close to the impact of Jesus. A man who lived in relative poverty and obscurity in one corner of the Roman Empire and ministered publicly for three short years. 
And this extraordinary impact. Why? Because he's a fully human person. He is what God intends for you and me. Jesus. Hey, choose life for yourself. Choose Jesus. Trust in him. See that he has come to give you life and to turn you from your destructive journey down the road to death. Trust in Jesus and then follow him on the narrow way because that's the way that he chose to go. So you follow him. You believe in him, but you trust in him. And you commit to him. And you walk that way that Jesus lays out. The man who did not choose to have, but to be what God desired him to be. All right, so choose life. The second thing I want to say is this, that we need to choose life for others. That's what Jesus did, after all, did he not? We choose life for others in a culture of death. I like that picture the contrast of the blooming flowers and the vibrant tree and right across from it the the deadness, the desert, the starkness of, of that contrast. I think that's what we face in every age of the world and we face it very powerfully in Western culture today. The culture of death. That, that phrase was first coined, I believe, in 1995 by Pope John Paul II. And uh, I wanted to get a feeling for what uh, he meant when he used it. So here's a quotation. Let me read that. Uh, pope John Paul says, Whatever is opposed to life itself, such as any type of murder, genocide, abortion, euthanasia, or willful self-destruction, suicide, <clears throat> whatever violates the integrity of the human person, such as mutilation, torments, torments inflicted on body or mind, attempts to coerce the will itself, torture, Whatever insults human dignity, such as subhuman living conditions, arbitrary imprisonment, deportation, slavery, prostitution, the selling of women and children, as well as disgraceful working conditions, where people are treated as mere instruments of gain rather than as free and responsible persons. All these things and others like them are infamies indeed. They poison human society. Moreover, they are a supreme dishonor to the Creator. And you see what he's doing there? He's tying our understanding of human beings to who they are before God. How do we live in a world where the culture of death 
is barreling down the highway toward us. <clears throat> well, here's what the Pope says in that treatise. He says, the church counters the culture of death with the culture of love. Now, that's, that's important. <laughs> that's how we do it, friends. I told you before, I, I don't do much in the way of talking about politics. And one of the reasons for that is, I think politics are overrated. Don't say they're unimportant, but I think they're overrated. And in this massive, cosmic conflict that we are called to, our weapons are not fleshly and carnal. Our weapons are the weapons of love. The same weapons that Jesus used and lived by. He's the one we follow, right? And this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. <clears throat> we choose life not just for ourselves, huh? We choose it for others. And Jesus shows us the way. <clears throat> what I want to think about as we wrap up here is some of the ways that we can choose life for others. And as we do so, we need to think about particularly those people who are living at greatest risk. People who live on the margins. <clears throat> so let's think about a, a few quickly. This one we heard about last week, huh? when Worthwhile Ware was here. People living on the margins. Human trafficking. Where the culture of death is so powerfully visible. Seven to... Ten years is the estimate for the average lifespan of people caught in sexual trafficking. Seven to ten years. And, and lots, of, lots of girls especially get caught in that in their early teens. So seven to ten years, what does that do for your life? So I'm glad that we support Worthwhile Where they, they are working not only in our local area, but they're also working in India. Uh, I think that's great. Uh, we have others of our missionaries who are, have gotten involved in this as well. Uh, Dan and Rachel Zook are missionaries in uh, Germany. Uh, Rachel is involved with uh, ministering to women in Europe caught up in the sex trafficking. And then uh, we support uh, Gary and Karen Shogren, missionaries to Costa Rica, and Karen is also involved in this kind of ministry. Uh, it's, it's worldwide. $160 billion a year in that industry. 
people on the margins. We need to love them. What about disabled persons? I am, uh, here's, here's a picture from Johnny Camp. I don't think this is Spruce Lake, though. Um, doesn't look like it, huh? But Johnny Camps are all around. Uh, I'm so delighted that each year Wes leads a group of people to uh, serve at Johnny Camp. How many of you have done that either this year or in other years? You've served at Johnny Camp. Okay? So I see a number of hands going up. Uh, That would be something wonderful for others of you to consider. It, It will revise your understanding of what life is and what it looks like. Uh, and, and you'll have the chance to be a great blessing to people living on the margins where life is difficult. What about immigrants and refugees? The Lord says in the Old Testament to Israel, I love immigrants. And I want you to remember that you were immigrants in Egypt. So love the immigrants among you. There's lots of uh, ministries in that area. Here's one that's local, uh, uh, Bethany Christian Services. Some of you may know uh, my friends, uh, Tom and Margaret Skinner, who live in Harleysville. Uh, They've been involved for a couple years now with uh, Bethany Services, ministering to a... uh, a refugee Afghan couple, and uh, they've just really intertwined their lives with these folks, uh, helping them to learn English, helping them to get a job, to get, uh, to get an apartment, uh, right across the line. It's been, and if you talk to them, they just testify, this has been a wonderful experience for them. And, you know, these places are always looking for volunteers, various ways to help. How about low-income families? Families at risk in a variety of ways uh, and reflected partly that they just don't have enough money. <laughs> well, I'm glad again that we're part of Keystone Opportunity Center. I'm thankful for the people who have been involved. Some of you are involved by giving and donating to that uh, Carol Doyle served there for years and probably is still connected. Carol, are you still connected there? Uh, I'm thankful for uh, Arlen Delp and, and Cindy Dembroski, who served there regularly. Uh, great opportunities. And for those of you that come on Tuesdays to the parking lot and, and help to distribute food with Phil Abundance, uh, thank you for doing that. Uh, great opportunity, whether you're directing traffic or sorting food or whatever it is. Choose life for other people. And then what about single parents? Wow. Uh, Talk about folks at risk and children at risk in those single parent families. Again, I'm, I'm glad for the connection that we are developing with Bridge of Hope right here in town. Uh, we've now got two apartments that are available for 
uh, Bridge of Hope people. And uh, some of you I know are involved in what are they called, neighboring groups? Who, who's, who's involved in the neighboring groups? Okay, see a number of folks. Thanks for doing that. Choose life for others. And how do we do that? Well, we need to get a life. And the life we need to get is not the life of celebrities. It's not the life of more stuff. It's the life of Jesus. The one human being fully alive to the glory of God who in all of his aliveness laid down his life for you and for me and now calls us on the narrow way and he says, follow me. Take up your cross and lay down your life for others, especially for those at risk. You want to pray for us? And then uh, Wes is going to lead us in communion. Let's pray. So, Lord, you put before us life and death. And the world and the enemy encourages us to find life on our own. But you call us the life which is life indeed, the eternal life that you revealed in the coming of Jesus, your gift to show us what your purposes are for humanity. God, we want to, we want to receive that gift in a fresh way today, with, with open hearts to you, to receive Christ afresh, e- even as we celebrate communion. May we feed on him. May we renew our commitments to follow. Thank you for life. May we be people of life in the fullest sense, And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.